As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the first episode of I Was There Too. This is the show where I will talk to people who were present in the great scenes of cinema history. They might be actors uh, that were in the background, actors with one line, actors with ten lines. The point is they were there on the day and can tell us what went down. It'll be a shame-free zone where name-dropping is encouraged and bragging is applauded. My name's Matt Gorley. If you know me at all, you probably know me from the Super Ego Podcast, the Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project, James Bonding Podcast. I'm just realizing that I'm basically the uh, Ryan Seacrest of podcasts. Well, that's depressing. Welcome to the last episode of I Was There Too. Unless, you know, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to do a New Year's Eve countdown podcast <laughs> that you can download and ring in the new year at your leisure. That's brilliant. Okay, I'm back in. Welcome to I Was There Too. Anyway, I'm very excited about this podcast and the fact that it's also part of the new Wolf Pop Network launch, the sister podcast network to Earwolf. I'm also a huge movie fan, and I'm very excited about the guests that are on this show, today's especially, but we'll get to that in a second. Coming up on future episodes of this show will be uh, a colonial marine from the movie Aliens, the lady with the baby carriage in the staircase shootout scene in Union Station in The Untouchables, the guy that Bill Murray holds hostage with a pitchfork when he delivers his famous Dalai Lama monologue from Caddyshack, and more. Some of these actors are still working in the industry, like today. Some of them are retired. Some of them are perhaps off the radar. And it's going to be a wide variety. I want to get people in from all different types of film, not just comedies and dramas and action, but even documentaries, television. Uh, the holy grail for me would be someone who was somehow involved with the holiday Wookiee Star Wars special, like the guy that played the uh, grandpa Wookiee. And I just, I want to know what was going on there. <laughs> Whose drug-addled brainscape was that the whole thing? 
uh, the baby of. Anyway, I'm going to need your help. Finding these people can prove difficult. So suggestions are greatly appreciated. But even more than that is if you know any uh, people that would be perfect for this show and can introduce them to me, or maybe you are one of those people. I don't know. If you are, call me. I don't have a number, but I do have an email. It's Iwasthere2pod at gmail.com. That's just Iwasthere2pod at gmail.com. Or tweet me up at Twitter, at Matt Gorley, M-A-T-T-G-O-U-R-L-E-Y, and hopefully we can build this podcast together. This is not I Was There Too with Matt Gorley, it's I Was There Too with everyone. Teamwork. It's a family. All right, let's get into today's show. The film is There Will Be Blood. This is a film that I loved when I saw it for the first time and have not actually seen it since then until I watched it a few days ago for this podcast. It's incredibly intense. Uh, There's silence for the first 20 minutes of the movie. I love any film where there's jodhpur-looking pants tucked into side lace and boots. And today's guest is very special to my heart. He's a friend. He's one of the members of the Super Ego podcast that I do. And he's really mayor of all podcasts ever. You know him from some of the finest stand-up comedy available, Mr. Show, BoJack Horseman on Netflix, the Speakeasy web series, his own podcast, the Pod F. Tomcast, the Thrilling Adventure Hour, so much more. He's Mr. Paul F. Tompkins. And this interview was a lot of fun. And it's worth it alone to hear him tell the to hear him talk about the noises that Daniel Day Lewis, DDL, makes between takes. So, let's lace up our boots from the side, please, and kick this thing off proper. And please, stick around after the interview for more info, and there are some very important people that I would love to thank. Here we go. Also, spoilers. The film, There Will Be Blood, the year 2007. The actor, Paul F. Tompkins. The role, Mr. Prescott. The guy that tries to calm down the town and get them to listen to Daniel Plainview, who's upset about oil, which he is all the time. Anyway, here we go. You ready? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Why am I so nervous? Paul F. Tompkins, welcome to Fresh Air at Terry Gross. Welcome to me, to you. Ah, oh, it's so nice to have you here. It's nice to look at you. Finger. We're pointing at each other with our fingers. A little ET touch. <laughs> I'll be right here. Why isn't this a video podcast? <laughs> I think we just answered that question. Uh, we pre-answered it with our visual antics. <laughs> so we're here to talk about your very serious role. <laughs> That's true. In there will be blood. Now, yes. you're not typically known for drama, but you might as well be because no. I want to say first off that when I rewatch this for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about how intense Daniel Day-Lewis is. Mm-hmm. Your stare on that opening shot in that scene <laughs> is incredibly intense. Well, you know, Matt, acting is reacting. <laughs> and so this guy is talking, You've and I am listening to him like, this is important stuff. I see. And I really, it was, it was so weird to be there. It was so weird to be there. And, and I came to be there because I knew Paul Thomas Anderson a little bit and because I had been cut out of a previous film of his. Magnolia. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had been, everything but my voice was cut out. Save it for the Magnolia episode of I Was There Too. <laughs> <Magnepiso>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to start yes. from the beginning. Yes. So it's we'll a very good place to start. All the details. Let's talk about, you said you knew Paul Thomas Anderson. So was there even an audition process? No, there was not. I, I knew God. Paul from uh, the Largo scene. He uh-huh. was uh, um, uh, an habitué of Largo, as was I. Um, and uh, I had uh, 
hung out with him on a few occasions at Largo and then at our, our friend, our mutual friend, Loretta Feldman's house. Um, Loretta Feldman was Marty Feldman's widow. And is that why there are pictures of Marty Feldman in the little room yes, at Largo? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. He used to have, she used to have these uh, dinner parties at her home and Flanagan who owns Largo was a, a friend of hers. And so she would have some of us to her house occasionally. And there would be these, it, it's, I can't describe to you how wonderful they were, even though it was like the simplest thing in the world. But it was sort of like – to me, it was like this is what it's like to be a grown-up is <laughs> you know, we would have these dinner – she would have these dinner parties and it would be like – you know, five or six people, and we'd sit, we'd eat dinner, and then we'd all sit around the table, um, drinking and smoking and telling stories, and it was it was just the most amazing thing because she had these great stories. She was a great conversationalist. She was a real character. She had she was in her seventies. She talked like this. She had this beautiful British accent, very posh and plumbed. She had this deep voice from smoking for years and years, darling. <laughs> And then she got she got cancer. And it was a ghastly nightmare. Oh, yeah, and she just passed away a couple of years ago. And but she lived an amazing life, and she was herself to the end. And you know, um, she was she was terrific. But that's so that's where I would hang out with Paul and and got to know him. So paint the picture for me. You're sitting around the table. It's yeah. you, Paul Thomas Anderson, Loretta Feldman. Yeah. What other luminaries were there? Uh, there was Flanagan, who owns Largo. There was a guy, uh, uh, Julian, who is a, a British character actor that has been in a million things that you'd know him if you saw him. Um, uh, John Bryan, you mm-hmm. know, the musician and composer and, and uh, you know, people like that, that um, – uh, that that all kind of most of us knew each other from Largo, but then there would be people that were old friends of of, of Loretta's, like Anne uh, Sellers, who was Peter Sellers' uh, ex-wife. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were they were the inspiration for Absolutely Fabulous, Loretta and Anne. Oh my God! You're yeah. kidding. See, this is exactly what I want for this podcast. I want this to well, not, good, uh, good. <laughs> I'm want, I'm great. Listen, I'm saying what I'm doing is good, Matt. <laughs> okay, now you've gone too far. I can't <laughs> cut. Um, <laughs> Pod cut. <laughs> I want this to n- not only be I, I, you should feel comfortable about name dropping. It should be celebrated here because we're right. you know you're you're a known entity. People know who Paul F. Tompkins is. It's going to be a variety of guests on this show where some people might know this person just from the film we're talking about. Right, and you know who knows what type of characters we're going to get in here. It's going to be great, and I want everyone to feel free about bragging and name dropping and just going for it. Well, the, I, I'm glad you said that because when I was a kid and wanting to be in the entertainment business I loved stories of all these people hanging yes, out together you know like those Carson uh, poker nights yeah Carl Reiner yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just I remember reading so many biographies of, of famous people from like the golden age of Hollywood and like the idea that all of these people hung out together yeah. and did stuff and the to me the the pinnacle always was cool house parties, you know, where it was all these people, like, there would be a piano and somebody would start playing music, and uh, I loved it. And so, you know, growing up and and getting into stand-up and then um, moving to Los Angeles and and becoming part of this extended circle of entertainers, uh, it was was literally, it was a dream come true. It was like, this is exactly what I wanted to happen, and it happened, you know? That's wonderful. And so you got to know Paul Thomas Anderson, would you say, relatively well, or... 
No, I we're still. I would say that we are we are at best pals, uh, uh-huh. but probably acquaintances. I mean, you know, we. Um, uh, I was at his house once, you know, um, and uh, we have have been been around each other socially, but um, we're not like on we're not on like texting terms. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but he had become quite a fan of the the comic scene of the original Largo on Fairfax, right? Because I, when I saw Magnolia, it was. Full of you know Patton Oswalt. Oh yeah, everybody had little parts in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I wonder how much a fan he is of the comedy though, because one, this is one of my favorite exchanges was at uh, at one time at Loretta's house. He told me, "Hey, I saw you. I saw your set when you opened for John Bryan uh, last week." And I said, "Oh, thank you." And he goes, "It's, "It's a little long," which is. Hilarious that Paul Thomas Anderson would be saying that to anyone. I know that was my first thought. <laughs> but he was, but he was being, he was goofing around, and you uh, know, and it, honestly, it probably wasn't <laughs> long. But um, but yeah, I I wonder to this day because it didn't hit me until later. Like, wait a minute, you're saying that to me? It that hit I, you just yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how self-aware he was when he when he said that to oh, me. Oh, that's fantastic. So, how <laughs> but he's a good guy. I, I've always enjoyed hanging out with him, and you know, and it was it was I was I'm very grateful to him for giving me that experience to be on a movie like that, and you know, just like even if he like had just invited me to the set, right. it would have been great. You know, I can only imagine. Um, I watched that movie two days ago, and it, I don't think I'd seen it since 2007. It's intense. It's yeah, a oh, yeah. ripping movie. I yeah. mean, that's no surprise. But all right, so how did you get word that you were going to be in this film? Then? He, I think he, I can't remember if it was a uh, a voicemail or if it was an email that said, hey, I'm doing this thing. I want to put you in it. So he, you no, know, there were no people involved. No, just direct no, 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 no. it was wonderful. direct. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I said I had no idea what it was, and I said, yeah, I'll do anything. And um, so I I I can't remember if I got the the lines. I have just a couple lines in the film. Yeah. And I can't remember if I was given them in advance or not. It might have been when I got there wow. <laughs> because you know it was not a lot of dialogue. Um, but uh, I didn't know. I didn't know much about the movie. I knew it was based on a novel that I'd never heard of or read. Um, and uh, I, I I knew it was a period piece. And uh, that period was – and they gave me like the dates. Like it starts in 1901 and ends in you know 1914 or whatever. And that was all I knew, that it just was oh this brief span of time. Um, and so uh, – uh, but I was up for it and, and – uh, the idea was me and Flanagan um, were going to be in this scene. Um, and so we drove out there together. We were shot in Valencia. Oh. So uh, Flanagan picked me up and we drove out there together. And, and it was one of those things where uh, we kept thinking, are we – did we go too far or did we not go far enough? This is crazy because this is a, an iconic film in the past well, – in the recent past. Yeah. And it sounds like – the process is like shooting a web short. Like, hey, you want to come be in my thing? <laughs> yes. Pick up your buddy and drive out here. Where is it? It's in Valencia. <laughs> it's incredible. I guess if you know what you're doing, you can do things like that. Yeah, you right. know? And Yeah, but that is – it's funny, Matt. That didn't occur to me until you say that. Like, it is weird that he called me directly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, said, though. do you want to do this thing? That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he truly is one of the only, like – 
auteur filmmakers working today that can truly fit that description. And yeah. I love that down – he does everything himself, just writing, screenplay, <laughs> calling people, right. <laughs> tailoring the costumes. Right. Um, <clears throat> so you play the role of Prescott. Yes. Is that the only name you got? Was there a full name or no, – uh, Mr. Prescott. Mr. Prescott. Yes. That's, a, that's I all I got. I that's apologize. That's all I got. And I didn't, I didn't get much um, – he gave me a little bit of background about here's what the situation is, you know, and all this. But which, you know, he told me, you know, there's this meeting and uh, the, the whole town is trying to decide uh, whether or not they want to hire this guy uh, to uh, work their oil. Yeah, you know? basically. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, lease, um, uh, which he would not take that lease if you gave it to him as a gift. That's right. Um, and, and that's pretty much all I knew. And, uh, that it was, I think it was supposed to be in my house. Oh, um, you yeah, know, cause I, they don't exactly say who you are, but we're led to believe you're some, you know, important member of the town. If right, the exactly. Mayor, possibly the himself mayor, or who something. knows? But, but yeah, so it's in, you know, it, it's a house meeting and I guess it's my house and, you know, so I'm the moderator of this thing. But you seem to be the <laughs> only one who wants him there. Yes. Yeah. Because I think the idea is I know that this could be uh, a lot of money and um, that I, I've heard this is the guy to make this happen, right. you know. Um, and I, but honestly, I could not tell you why anyone else is against it. I don't, I don't understand why there's an argument. And we, and when we shot, there was like, the argument was extended and there were, there were lines that were cut out. Like there were, there were, um, four of us that had, uh, speaking roles in that scene. And you were the only one to survive. The I cut. think I'm the only one yeah. that survived. Oh, um, and there were two guys, uh, and a woman and me. Um, the only other guy's name that I can remember is Jim Meskimen, who is, a uh, um, an actor and, and he does like impressions and stuff. And he's a guy that's been in his character actor has been in a million things. You know him if you saw him. Um, but and I, I wish I could remember the names of the other two people who were uh, terrific people and like real actors. And of course I felt like such a fraud being there. Like I shouldn't be here at all. Um, but there was, there was a wonderful moment and I was glad I got to, to witness this where the guy who was not Jim Meskimen, <laughs> who, um, in one of the in, a, in one of the takes, uh, just some some improv started happening, and uh, he had some line to Daniel Day Lewis, and then Daniel Day Lewis answers him, and then he said something else, and then they went back and forth for a little bit, oh. and I remember thinking, I'm so happy for this guy that he's having this moment because like you could feel it, like this is so great that this is happening, like for this guy to be riffing with Daniel Day Lewis in character, you know, and both of them staying in it. And, uh, it never felt false. It never felt like it was betraying the period or the characters or the situation. And I was, I was, I'm still like, <laughs> I'm so happy for that guy, you know? Um, but, but yeah, there was like this whole thing where, the the actress says something, and then this guy says, "Tell your wife to be quiet." You know, like <laughs> this, which was all scripted. You know, um, and then you know that. So then that leads to the chaos of the meeting breaking up and Daniel Day Lewis leaving and me running out after him. Okay. Oh my God. So yeah. how, was it a one day shoot? Was it? It was two days. Two days. It was two days, and we did. Um, 
the the one day was everything interior was us in that meeting, and then uh, the next day was um, nighttime me running out into the muddy street after him. So what was the actual physical set like? They had constructed this, um, you know, little strip of an old town uh-huh. in the middle of this field in Valencia. And so there were um, facades of buildings and the, the building that we were in, that little house that we were in, um, you know, they had built just that room inside and then the rest of it was just a facade. Um and uh, they had had like there was, you know, people walking around. There were other other facades of buildings and there was an old fire truck and, you know, oh all this stuff and horses. And yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. That it sounds was amazing. It was so I, I it was thrilling to be there, yeah. you know, for because for, stuff like that really feels like. Hollywood, you know yeah. what I mean? Like to do a period piece and have a crazy costume on and, and like they have to give you a specific haircut and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about you in particular. You you just love traditional looking, classic looking. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. tailoring and, there, and furniture. And there were a, a lot of people that said, oh, did you wear your own clothes course, for that? Yeah, and, you know, yeah. But I did, like, I did change out of <laughs> one suit into another one. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it was it was great. Flanagan got they shaved the sides of his head like they gave him a real old fashioned haircut. And like he, a Henry V deal. Or yeah, what? kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he and he showed like we so it happened. We went individually, and then when we saw each other after we had gotten already, he's like, "Look at this shit." <laughs> this is on the day you show up, or is this? Yeah, it's on the day that. we show up. Yeah, okay. yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So the first thing they're you like, do "Hey, is- we're gonna cut your hair," and, and you say, "Okay," and then they do it. And so I had. They did. They did pretty much the same thing to me that they did him, only much less severe. <laughs> and so, but he was full on. Like they shaved the sides of his head, parted his hair. He's got like big, thick, bushy hair. Yeah. Parted it down the middle. Oh my <laughs> he god! Looked crazy. Um, and he did not have any lines of dialogue. But you can see him. You can see Flanagan in the movie as at the door as Daniel Day Lewis walks out. Flanagan is standing by the door with his arms folded. And as Danny Day-Lewis walks by, Flanagan does a dismissive gesture, just like waves him out like, ah, like that kind of thing. Ah, fiddlesticks. Yeah. It's, it's like, good. I'm glad you're going. Like that kind of gesture. And it's hilarious. When I realized he was doing that, I almost broke in the scene. Like I watched him do that. Oh, it was, it, it was, it was crazy that we were there. And I'm, but I'm glad that he was there because, you know, it was, it could have been very nerve wracking. You know, to to be there because this feels like a big important thing, and there was definitely I was on high uh, 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 fraud alert, um, feeling like I shouldn't be oh, here. I, yeah, you I know, know that feeling. This is I, like, yeah, I'm not right a real, now. I'm not a real guy. Uh, these are all real people. Yeah, and I shouldn't be here. I certainly shouldn't be sitting. Uh, a foot away from Daniel Day Lewis, that shouldn't be happening at all. <laughs> that needs a name. I don't know what that fraud alert thing is. Because, <laughs> it, it in fact, does. I'm a teacher and I actually teach in Valencia. But every time I walk into my class, I just feel like I'm on high fraud alert as well. <laughs> really? Oh, sure. Yeah. I well, mean, here it I gets get. better. It gets better, but it does. <laughs> but at first, because I started teaching when I was, I think, 26 or something. And right. Yeah. You walk in, go. Well, why no do you one. feel? Well, yeah. I guess. I, I get. I guess I get that feeling. Like, well, who am I to tell these people? Anything, yeah. you know, I barely know anything myself. Is that the idea? Well, it's also the, you know, I will do the bare minimum of planning and right. that never makes you feel prepared, you know, but the alternative is- Do you is, think your students are listening to this? It's a good question. It's a good question. Right? <laughs> well, it's an improv class. I mean, come on, right? There you if go. ever you could. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Before we get to Daniel Day-Lewis, yes. I want to talk about the atmosphere on the set. Was mm-hmm. it, uh, was it 
tense? Was it light? Was it it was focused? It was it was focused. Yeah, it was focused. I mean, there was not. It's it seems like so long ago. I'm sure. Um, it wasn't grim, you know what I mean, and it wasn't um, it wasn't a drag to be there. It it, it didn't feel like uh, everybody was uh, self important. It didn't feel, you know, it was a movie, and so it didn't it didn't feel like people had a sense of we are doing something very important here. Um, but but of course, it was the most professional crew and you know everybody was was dedicated to what was happening but still you know it was a job and 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 people were having as much fun as you can have working on a drama you know there's there's people laughing and there's you know all sorts of stuff a man selling ice cream (laughs) um i don't know why because i i think so many compare paul thomas anderson to stanley kubrick that you think like it must be a similar tight working environment. But right. There's no evidence for that, right? I mean, he's- yeah, and and Paul also is not a a punisher of actors, right, that's you what know. I mean, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't shoot a million things and he doesn't I I think that he I think that Paul likes actors and he likes um I think he likes the the collaboration between actor and director as opposed to being uh a puppeteer, you know, yeah. and telling people uh, like making people go again and again until he has this thing that he's seen in his head, you know. Um my my experience working with him twice now and seeing him direct other people and you know big uh, you know amazing actors is that uh it's not like Clint Eastwood, one take and let's move on. And it's not Kubrick, uh, I'm going to grind you down with 20 takes until you don't know what your name is anymore. Um, it's like uh, he, I think he clearly, you you get the feeling like he gets that, you know, people warm up, people come to the set prepared, they know what they're doing, but that you're not necessarily going to nail it first time out. And uh, oh, and nice. to tr- and to try different shadings and stuff like that. And you really get the sense that he likes collaborating with the 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 artist that he's working with. You know, not not me. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm one of those people. Well, uh, but I'm saying twice you, know, you were, yeah. Well, but not in that sense. But you know still, what I mean? Like yeah. my my thing my thing was always very straightforward, and it was not like, hey, let me try this. <laughs> well, that's what I'm wondering too. With the other guy, it just happened that he had an improv exchange with Daniel Day Lewis. Did you ever feel like, like I want to try to do that, or you were looking for the opportunity? No. And you just thought, no, I'm not going to d- no. dare. I'm okay. going to do the thing that I was supposed to do. The only improv that I did was there's. When the meeting completely breaks, falls apart, and everyone is just yelling, and I'm trying to calm people down, and I was like, "Well, I have to say something," and to my great embarrassment, and people have quoted this back to me, I said at one point, "We gain nothing by losing our heads." <laughs> I think that's great. Why to your great embarrassment? Because it's, that sounds so of the time. I yeah, but it sounds like. A, a dumb turn of phrase, you know what I mean? But is that even a turn of phrase, or did you we make gain that up? nothing by losing our heads? <laughs> did you make that up? I, I guess That's I did. Not, I'm thinking you were quoting some like classical aphorism or something. No. That's I wish I, I would. Maybe that's what I was going for. Was trying to sound like that. I don't know. I'm not going to let this go. That's not. I don't know why it embarrasses me. It embarrasses me. It's I don't impressive. Know why. It's you improvise you know a line Here's that also it feels imba- like it's like it's a great quote. Here's why it embarrasses me is because someone was able to pick it out. Of <laughs> The yelling, and they were able to quote it back to me like, uh, I caught you saying this. No, that's what it feels like. I, when I saw that, <laughs> I'm thinking you're quoting something like some great Greek just philosopher. My, or just something. my dumb brain. 
No, that's that goes on in the pantheon of. Great- I think I was embarrassed also because I think at the time, like on the day, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's good. That's good." I'll say this. Oh, you had that ready to go. That was in your bag. I think that was after, like, between takes. Well, I that's came a up different that. story then. Yeah. That is embarrassing. <laughs> that is embarrassing. No, I'm impressed. I think, and I think I also felt, I have this vague memory of, I, I'll say this, and if, and if nobody tells me not to, I'll keep saying it. <laughs> that's like with each successive take. The, the worst part about doing that kind of job is not getting feedback. You're thinking, like, that means that that's a tacit implication that it's okay. Yes. And like, I think that's, that's, that's mean that. that is the job on which I realized that. Yeah. That because it's very hard for, there's a thing about acting that um, some directors don't want to give feedback and you don't get anything from them. And you, you come to understand, okay, if I don't hear anything, then it's okay. Yeah. But your, your first instinct is, uh, oh, nobody said anything. I must be doing Terribly. Yes. And I'm so probably going to get fired. Yeah. It's basically if you hear not to do something, that's don't do it. But yeah. if you don't hear anything, you're all right. It's also part of maturity. You know, it's part of, of, of you know, just kind of spending time on this earth where you're like, well, if this guy doesn't say anything, um, I guess it's fine. I'm not going to worry about him. <laughs> the director. <laughs> okay. We have this to- piece of shit. <laughs> That's what I thought. That was your other line ready to go. Yeah, this piece of shit. <laughs> Gentlemen. <laughs> if you get the DVD. Uh, we need to take a break. I don't care. Station identification. We'll be back to talk about Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> we gain nothing by losing our heads. And we're back. And we are too. Now, when I... I have a mouse in my pocket. <laughs> what? Do you know that expression? No. That's you a, and your expression. Is this another one you made up? That, no, no, no. I did not make this one. This is an old expression that if somebody says uh, something like, um, oh, we're in trouble now. And you say, what do you mean we? You got a mouse in your pocket? Oh, because there's- Meaning like you're not yeah, speaking for me. Yeah, I'm not in trouble. Yeah. I busted that out on a Comedy Bang Bang live episode recently, and I think Scott got it, but no one else did. Well, welcome back to... Uh, we need to take a break. Welcome back to We Were There Too. Hey, what? What, do you got a mouse in your pocket? There we go. Uh, now... Uh, we Were There <laughs> That sounds like a documentary about the civil rights struggle. Yeah, it does. And it's like white people who didn't get enough credit. <laughs> hey, remember? We Were There Too, black people. <laughs> You're welcome. Look, I don't like to get into politics on, on my movie podcast. <laughs> um. We've known each other for a while now. Yeah. But I did not- 15 minutes. At least. Started at least, this podcast. You know what? It's at least 15 minutes. Because it's on record. Yes. At most 100 years. No, it's not that much. It can't be. At, at most, I'm saying. Combined. I'm saying at most. <laughs> combined. If you combine all those minutes, it might add up to 100 years. <laughs> then rollover minutes, too. Rollover <laughs> friendship minutes. Wait, is it the weekend? Can we afford to talk to each other? <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> but when this film came out- we did not know each other. No, that's true. But I knew who you were because I was a fan of your comedy. Wow. And I had seen you at the old Largo. The nightclub, yes, before I moved to the theater space. And I remember seeing this movie in the theater and picking you out going, that's Paul F. Tompkins. Did How you wonderful. really? Yes. It's weird because it's very odd to me who picks me out of that movie and who does not when it came out. Um, because I, when you see me – when you can see me, I'm blurry. I'm out of focus. I'm oh. over Daniel Day-Lewis's shoulder. Your pr- presence is in fine focus, though. Well, <laughs> and when you can hear me, it's the back of my head as I'm chasing after Daniel Day-Lewis. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I noticed right away. But I also do that. I feel like I look 
for people in things right. too. And the thing that I because I had people that know me for years that saw that movie, I had really? no idea I was in it. Yeah, I have found the most interesting thing about doing this podcast so far is watching a film from a like like a lesser character's perspective. Uh-huh. Watching aliens from one of the soldiers just looking for him in every single scene right. changes the movie completely. You're I'll missing bet. the main thrust of a lot of the dialogue and that sort of thing and looking at what like stuff he's painted on his own armor and things like that. <laughs> right. It's it's a really interesting way to watch a movie. Pick a small character and go watch a movie. Do you know the old story, the streetcar named Desire story no. about the actor? Um you know, at the end of Streetcar Named Desire, um, uh, Blanche Dubois is taken away by two guys from the yeah. insane asylum, two yeah. men in white coats, uh-huh. you know. And so somebody asked one of the actors, uh, you know, when it, was being, when it was on stage, someone asked one of the actors who was playing, you know, the guy, one of the guys in the white coats, what's this play about? Well, it's about uh, a man who works oh, at an yes, insane that's asylum. Right. That's right. yeah. <laughs> and of course, it should be. I yeah. mean, it's, it should be your response. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's talk about Daniel Day-Lewis. Absolutely. His monologue, if you say I am an oil man, <laughs> if I say I am an oil man, you will agree. Yeah. We lose my tools down the well. And I, I read that he was basically kind of trying to channel John Huston for his voice in this thing. Yeah. And, and you said already that he did different versions of this or different takes. How many times did they go through this monologue? Oh, my say? God. I... Boy, that's a good question. It wasn't a lot, you really? know. It wasn't a ton. It was, you know, there were a few things that they did for uh, for camera angles. You know, a few takes that were done for camera angles. But, I mean, you know, that speech was uh, he he showed up ready to go, <laughs> and I uh, knew what he was doing. Which leads me to my next. question. Yeah, and it was and it was amazing, and and uh, you know, it was amazing to watch. And I, of course, having no context for this, I don't know that this is going to be this iconic thing. I don't know that this is the first. These are the first words of dialogue in this film. Oh, you know what I mean? You don't even know you're in an opening early scene. That's right. Because no, about I don't. Fifteen to twenty minutes with no dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have I have no idea of any of this. Okay. So when I saw it on screen, I was so I was even more thrilled. Like, oh my god, I'm a part of this amazing moment in oh. this movie. Um, but e- even without even without knowing all that stuff, to watch him do this speech was it was mesmerizing. It was mesmerizing, really? you know, and especially knowing, really knowing nothing about the story, you know, like just watching this guy talk and say all this stuff. Um, like every, you, you, you could just tell that everyone in that room was riveted and, you know, it's this, it's this, uh, this, uh, room full of extras, you know, um, that are watching him do the speech. We're all focused on him and, uh, you could just feel it in the room that this was, you're in the presence of something very special and not, I I do not, I'm not trying to kid anyone, least of all myself, that it's like, I knew when he did it, that this was going to be an amazing thing. It was not, no one's thinking about the future. You're just watching this guy and like, he's pretty good. He's pretty good at acting. Oh my God. Now you've said, I believe even in your standup that he is not an intense man. He is the, what is the, the <laughs> and this is in, in uh, laboring under delusions, yeah. uh, 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 which is, uh, an hour of standup. That's all about jo- various jobs that I've had over the years. I, I talk about being on the set of there will be blood and, and, uh, introducing and saying, uh, you know, I'd heard, uh, that, uh, Danny day Lewis, uh, was kind of intense, but when you meet him, he's not, Oh, I can't remember how I said it. He's not 
he's uh, I can't remember how it he's, went. He's not intense. It, he's he's the most intense person who has ever lived on the planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and it really like it, you really could you really got the sense of like a, a there's a coiled thing inside oh him, you know, like he he is in this the whole time, you know, and it's not like you had to call him Mr. Plainview or anything like that between takes, but he kind of stayed in it and stayed in the voice, really? you know, between takes. Did you um, interact with him much between takes or ever? I had just- one interaction with him. I met him when I got to set. I was introduced to him. This is Paul. He's going to be playing Miss Prescott. Hello. Nice to meet you. Wow. Um, so he re- – because he's he's known as the, the method actor of yeah, our time. absolutely, yeah. To the point where he allegedly uh, wo- insisted on wearing his coat in Gangs of New York that was not lined and got pneumonia, I believe. Oh, that's a mistake. Well, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that's also IMDb. So what can, <laughs> I mean, we can't believe that. I won't. I'll, I'll fact check it with Wikipedia and it's still not true. <laughs> That's the other thing you should know about this podcast. A lot of my trivia is going to come from real questionable sources. So do your own fact-checking, people. This isn't the the New York Times. It's trivia to the best of your recollection that you are going to state as definitive fact. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. If it's on a podcast, it's it's true. I I just want to know. Okay. So you met him. Yes. So I met him and uh, and he he was not like – he never said like, please call me Mr. Plainview. It was just he said hello, but in that in the voice. And then I had one interaction with him between takes where I was just I was standing there thinking, This is great. No one is talking to me. <laughs> this sure. is perfect. Yeah, that's what you and, want. And um we were standing kind of near each other. And is this I indoors or out? This is indoors. Okay. We're on we're on we're in the uh, in the meeting set. And uh there was no way. No way in hell I was going to turn to him and say, so how's it going? Yeah, you know, yeah. I just was no. standing there. I, I think like hands clasped behind my back. Like I might as well have been whistling like do, 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 do. I'm just standing here minding my own business. And then he said, um, you are, uh, uh, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. And he said, and you're playing uh, Mr. You know, whatever. And he said some different name, like you're Mr. Donnelly. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm playing uh, Mr. Prescott, I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to make sure that we secure uh, your services for the lease. He went, ah, yes, yes. The end. Wow. And that was it. But that answers some questions because I think a lot of us would probably think, is he in the character the whole time? It's one thing to be in the voice and the physicality, yeah. but if he's talking about playing a role, yeah, he's at least snapped back to Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, I think that I think that there are um, there's different ways that people are with things like that. And you know, I have I have a friend who uh, Marilyn Ricecup who worked on uh, uh, Man on the Moon, the Jim Carrey, oh, uh, Andy Kaufman thing, yeah. and he asked people to call him Andy. You know, what an um, so. <laughs> What, Andy Kaufman or Jim Carrey? <laughs> Look, I, both. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. It was like, hey, if I'm going to play this asshole, I might as well be an asshole. <laughs> well, all right. You know what? Then but, not an asshole. But you know, My hat's off as, to him. As I used to be very cynical about stuff like that, and now I feel like I've just come to a point of, hey, you know what? Whatever gets you to where you need to be, that's not that big a deal. You Listen, know? I'm dealing with some hurt in my past because one time I was in – of mice and men, sure. And I was playing the bad guy, Curly. First of all, horribly yeah. miscast. And the guy, you're not, your hair isn't curly. Uh, no, nor am I. No, I you mean, wore a John three sixteen wig. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the guy playing Slim was a method actor. And uh, I didn't even have a fight with him on stage, but he would come back in the hall before the big fight scene with me and Lenny, and he would grab me by the lapel and throw me against the hall. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. And I, I was a little guy, yeah. and I was, I'm supposed to be you the bad to be guy a big aggressor. Guy. Huh? You wanted to be a big yeah, guy. Yeah, but I couldn't. Yeah. I could only be a big guy inside. That's right. And uh, every night, I went out there having to be the aggressor, but I was petrified that this guy was going to hit me on stage. <laughs> yeah. So, and plus, I had a perm that wasn't natural. That didn't help. <laughs> Did you really? Uh, oh, like, uh, I would this love was to in college. See that. Are there pictures? Uh, yeah. Well, they they the perm didn't work, so they like tight curled my hair every night. <laughs> a woman named Doina tight curled my hair. What? Doina? Yeah, that's not a name. It was for her. Um, I, that to me is that's that's a different thing because that to me is a bad actor. Part of the craft of acting is understanding that this is a collaborative effort. Um, you do not just have free run of whatever. And if you're going to, so let's say, grab another actor's arm, you know, which he had to do, um, you don't do it as roughly as possible. Or you talk to the guy beforehand and you say, hey, let me know. Exactly. How can I – is this okay? You know, how hard can I do this? You don't just do it. Yeah. Like that's – that and that's that's a wonderful part of the craft of acting is we want this to look as good as possible but i respect you as a human being <laughs> and as a fellow craftsperson so let's work on this together yeah. that's what's so at its best that is what is so great about it is everybody understanding we are all collaborators. It's not just the actors are collaborators. It's not just the director and the star are collaborators. It's everyone here is working for a uh, a common vision and that everybody everybody's job is just as important as everybody else's. Right. And someone like Daniel Day-Lewis too, though, he may be uh, sort of in, you know, for lack of a better term, a method acting sort of state, but – I would imagine working with that and seeing that sort of believability and intensity would only elevate another person's performance. Absolutely. As, as opposed to oh, someone yeah. who's taking something from you, which like this guy that I worked with was. Yeah. Or for some reason, Jim Carrey seems like he's doing <laughs> <laughs> You had no choice. Being on that set, you had no choice but to admire it. He didn't make people feel uncomfortable. Sure, I yeah. mean, you know, as much as I joke about him being intense, that was true. But he wasn't doing that to make people feel bad. And it's an intense know? character. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the character is incredibly intense yeah. and intimidating. And he's a, he's a murderer. Yes. He's I playing mean, a fucked up dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the, the not spoilers, but the, the movie ends with him bludgeoning someone with a bowling pin and eating steak. Yeah. I mean, th those are two real primal things. Yeah. How how many times have you eaten a steak and you were thinking I could just as easily be bludgeoning someone with a well, bowling pin? Well, you can't pin. have one without the other. Without you know, that's what brings out the flavor and a taste. Of the a, two great tastes that taste great together. Paul F. Tompkins. Wait, one more thing. You have one this, more thing. This is a thing that I cut out of. Uh, laboring under delusions as, as you know, I was working on that hour is that between takes, we're sitting in this hot room and, uh, Daniel Day Lewis just sat, just stayed in the chair. Um, and between takes, um, as things were being reset, lighting was being tweaked and everything like that. Every once in a while, he would just make this noise that sounded like this. And it was like, it was like a lion that was just kind of relaxing and thinking about what am I going to go out and take down and eat? And uh, oh the God. only time I saw him not in character and it was after, I think after we, I think this is how I knew we had gotten that scene was because he was talking to Flanagan um, outside of the set and Flanagan is from Ireland. He's got an Irish accent and Daniel Day-Lewis 
um, was was talking to him, and somehow the subject of uh, paper money came up. I don't remember like in the time period if, if they were moving towards the euro or something like that, and they were getting rid of like certain denominations of, of folding money. And uh, Dana De Lewis got very excited, saying, "I miss the old Irish money. It was it was gigantic. You know, he was so excited talking to an Irishman about the old <laughs> Irish currency. And that was the only time I heard him speak in his own voice. Yeah, I can't even. Know. I don't know if I know what his own voice sounds like. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty not as gruff. It's I'm not sure. remarkable. No, it's not gruff at all. It's it's a very it's a very refined voice, and he sort of sounds like this. And you know, it's a typical English actor's you know speaking voice. Oh my god, that's <laughs> wonderful. But yeah, it was it was a, it was a. I am I am so grateful to have had that experience to have just sort of to have been there too. Honestly, right. really, that's that is what it feels like, and and uh, it was a it was. It's one of my most uh, cherished memories. But has it ever? Have you ever thought of pursuing more dramatic acting? Because no, no, you really no. Are, that, you fit in that scene very well. Well, you're you you're very kind to say that. But I feel like I feel like that would be starting a new career. You know, if I were to concentrate on doing that, and it's it's and to be quite honest, I don't think it's something that I am necessarily looking to do because film acting of, of that caliber. It is a lot of work. It's it's a lot of work. You, you, you even if you're not somebody that's going to be starring in something like Daniel Day Lewis. Even if I was just to make a to try to make a go of a career of being a working dramatic actor, um, that's it's it's hard. And there's a lot of there's a lot of tedium that's involved that you have to be okay with mm-hmm. um, because shooting film like that. There is so much stuff that has to be tweaked and you can you can understand why – if you've been on a set like that, you can understand why Christian Bale would go nuts because <laughs> he's trying to pretend that this crazy made-up world is real, like instill it with as much gravity as possible, you know, and probably acting with green screen shit and stuff like that. And then here's a guy that's wandering through the take that's <laughs> tweaking a light. Like you could see why you could lose it, you know, yeah. because there is a lot of – there's a lot of waiting for stuff to be okay. There's sometimes you you are just shooting literally five seconds of film at a time because it's a very involved sequence that will look great once it's done, but to live to be living it as it's done is very tedious. And the the key to that is you have to not mind that it's tedious. And I think I mind a little bit that it's tedious. <laughs> well then we'll we'll cut this podcast short here before it gets tedious. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for doing this with me. Matt, thank you for having me. And of course, I'll see you at home. That's right, honey. <laughs> uh, they they can find you uh, on Twitter at P.F. Tompkins. At P.F. Tompkins. Instagram. Uh, Instagram at P.F. Tompkins. Uh, I'm on Tumblr. At Paul F. Tompkins. Paul F. Tompkins. Com. Com. You went for the full name there. Yeah. And there are no restrictions. You got the room. You got the time in the room. Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast, the yeah. Dead Authors podcast. Uh, the Pot F Tomcast, maybe that'll come back someday. Oh my God. It will. At some point or another, I'll do it. I don't even know when that'll happen. I don't know when it'll probably never be a regular thing again, but I, I miss doing it and I would like to do it every so often. It's the best. Well, you're very sweet. And, and of course, I'd be remiss if I did not plug the Super Ego podcast. I don't know what you mean. Uh, I am a full member of the – Matt doesn't understand this, but I am a, uh, I'm a member of a group called Super Ego and we have a uh, podcast that comes out sometimes. Sounds stupid. It is okay. in the most wonderful way. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Please stick around after the break for a segment I will be calling I Wasn't There Too. And I'm back with a segment called Dead. 
where I will talk about people who were cast in roles that didn't end up being in those roles. Sometimes it's specific to the film we're talking about that day, and sometimes it's just a, just a freebie from a different film. Today, it is about There Will Be Blood. Now, an actor named Kel O'Neill was originally supposed to play the part of Eli Sunday, which is now played by Paul Dano. Paul Dano was originally cast as Paul Sunday, the smaller part, the brother that originally speaks to Daniel Plainview. Now, according to internet legend, Kel O'Neill either had a disagreement with DDL or was afraid of his method acting and that he never came out of character on set, which I kind of understand. But anyway, he was replaced, and then Paul Thomas Anderson altered the script to make Paul and Eli twin brothers, and Paul Dano was elevated from the small role of Paul to both roles, including the much larger part of Eli Sunday, the preacher. And there you have it on another installment of, which is the first installment of... So thanks, everyone. I'm really enjoying this podcast so far. I'm about four episodes in. I think it's probably going to be every other week just to uh, make it realistic for guest bookings. But there are some uh, people I would love to thank. First, Adam Sachs and Paul Shear, who created this network, and we've all been working hand-in-hand hand to bring you what I think are some great shows on this network. So please take a download of all the other shows on this dude network. <laughs> Broadcasting. Uh Savannah Nix and Eleanor Woods, who have been so helpful in building this and booking guests. All the engineers, Brett, Cody, Sam... My dear friend, James Jimmy Blades Bladen, who helped me record the theme song. He's a musical genius. And lastly, and most importantly, Jeff Ulrich, who actually had the idea for this podcast and said, Matt, why don't you do this? And I'm no dummy. And I said, I would love to take that. But it was his idea. And when we were originally building the ideas for this uh, Wolf Pop Network, he was still acting CEO. He's not anymore. Adam has taken over. And uh, he, he said he always wanted to hear what the version of the story of the last scene in Karate Kid would be from the perspective of the referee. And that's how he thought of the podcast. And then he uh, gave it to me, which I greatly appreciate. And uh, I'm very excited to do this. So please join me again next time on I Was There Too. We gain nothing by losing our heads. <laughs> Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.